Thank you, Devin. I don't know what it takes to uh, capture your attention, and, and there's so many avenues by which uh, people want to grab our attention, whether it be uh, through the media in the social media or whether it be television, radio. It used to be newspapers is what we got all our news from, and now you go on the internet and you find out that you can get blasted by Yahoo News or whatever uh, area or place you go to. And I've come to the place in my life, I, I like to see what's happening every day, but Often what I get is, is just the headlines. I see the headlines, and I kind of grab it, and then I move on, I move on, move on, move on. But there was a, there was a Yahoo News headline that grabbed me, and, and this, is, this is how it grabbed my attention to the point that it actually caused me to read what it had to say, and it was this, ignore at your own risk. And so I thought, ignore at my own risk. How risky do I want to be? Am I in da- the danger zone? But I thought, oh, okay, I'll, I'll look at it. It didn't look like it was going to have 25 different, you know, commercials on it. So I, I went to it and basically had three homeowner type or home uh, location warnings. And the first one was this, Be, ignore your own risk, the signs in which these things are about to happen to you. A flailing furnace. Now in the midst, uh, I think we just heard about that we're in the de- Saudi Arabia desert or wherever we are today. So we're not worried about a furnace now, but if we were in the cold region, we would be very concerned about that. And that was, well, how do you understand if you're going to have a flailing furnace? And they said this, you have unpleasant sounds and reduced energy efficiency. Now, we, a few years ago, fixed our, our furnace, so we don't have a flailing furnace at the moment. But right now, something happened to our air conditioning unit, and it is as hot on the inside as in, on the outside in our, in, our, in our home. It was, well, not exactly that hot. It got up only to 93 degrees in our house, okay? But anyway, it, it, that could be, ignoring that particular need could be at your own risk. The second one was rotten roofing. And you look up there at your roof and see, is it coming apart? And you better get it fixed before something else happens. I remember John was looking at something else in my house and said, you better change your, your roofing. So that happened a couple years ago. And so I'm all excited about that. We've got a new roof. And then the other one was water-damaging warnings. Anybody had any da- water-damaging problems recently? Okay, uh, we, just, <laughs> we just replumbed our entire house uh, last year. But anyway, there's all kinds of things that can happen to you in terms of where you live and how things are happening to you. And you ignore those things at your own risk. Uh, fortunately, those things that happened to us, we, we got them before catastrophe happened. But what I want to share with you this morning is some things that, that Jesus said about us that we should not ignore at our own risk. Uh, because if we don't really draw our attention to these things, we're not going to follow God down God's path like he wants us to follow down his path. And so if you have your Bibles this morning, I invite you to turn to Luke chapter 17. Now, we've been in the Gospel of Luke for an extended period of time, and, and as I was thinking about that, well, we're somehow missing what the rest of the Bible has to say. But if you really look at the Gospels and the teaching to Jesus, you, you see that he really touches on just about anything and everything that will happen in the Christian life. And, and this is one particular area where he, he speaks plainly to his people. If you follow along in the Gospel of Luke, and in the midst of all that we've talked about, there is a whole lot we've talked about because Jesus talks a whole lot about things. But right before chapter 17 comes chapter what? 16. So you're still with me. In chapter 16, he talks about heaven and hell. And you're thinking, oh my goodness, you know, what, what is he going to talk to about next? And before that, actually, and he, he talked about finances and what you ought to do with the things God gives you. And you think, well, how do you go from finances and, and being good stewards of what you have to, to talking about heaven or hell? And, and then you wonder, what is he going to say next and who is he talking to? And if you look at Jesus, he, he often looks at the two types of people that the Bible says are in this world, those, those people who believe and those people who what? Don't believe. I mean, that's pretty simple and straightforward. And, and, and what he wants to do to the people who don't believe, he wants to persuade them to what? 
to believe and, and say, this is what you need to consider. And there is no other, you know, ignore this at your own risk than realize that spiritually, if you don't get this right, the Bible says there's, there's one place you can go and there's another place you can go. You can go to the place that God has prepared for those who know him and love him, a place in which his presence dwells, in which the goodness of God is manifested, or there's a place of God's judgment. And, and so he talked very seriously about heaven or hell, and particularly he was talking about the people, to the people who didn't believe, though there's always implication and application for all of us, no matter who Jesus is speaking to. Uh, because if we realize that we've on, on the other side of, of putting our faith in Jesus Christ, we ought to be filled with joy because our future is settled. But what he does next, he, he, he wants them to know very plainly and clearly who he's talking to now. And so he turns to the disciples and says, I, I'm talking to you. You ever been in a conversation with people or maybe uh, people are, are, the heat is rising in terms of what people are saying and they're about to say something that you don't think is for you? And say, are you talking, to, are you talking to me? Well, this is exactly what Jesus does to them because they might be thinking, well, you, you couldn't be talking to me. You've got to be talking to other people. Now, none of us ever come to church that way, right? Oh, this is a great message for my wife, you know, <laughs> or my friend, or, or the, I wish they had been here because this was, this was exactly for them. Well, uh, the Bible really speaks in a way in which he's always saying it, it, the first application is for your own life, right? And yet we sometimes need to be alerted to that fact because sometimes we have a deaf ear or, or maybe we've heard it before and we thought, oh, I've heard that, but, but he says, no, 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 you need to relook at at what the truth is as it relates to people who have decided to follow me. And, and for those who haven't decided to follow Jesus, it's, it's, it's a look into the future. If, if you make this commitment, this is, this is what I'm calling you to. Then I want to say one other thing by way of introduction. When he says these things, he's preparing them for when he leaves. Hey, have you noticed that your life sometimes acts differently when you're around certain people than other people? And, and particularly think about the disciples as Jesus warned them, in multiple ways that, you know, I'm not going to stay here forever. Uh, I'm going to die, and I'm going to leave. And, and he actually said, this is going to be better for you. Be they didn't quite understand that because I'm going to send the Spirit. But they recognized they lived one way when they were right next to Jesus. And when he wasn't right next to them, they lived another way. And so he was preparing them to, to follow him well when he wasn't in eye distance. And so this morning... And I've, I've re-looked at this passage about ten times. I made it very simple, and then I've complicated it. So I'm not sure exactly where we're going to go with this. But we're going to look about what is, what is Jesus saying to us if you know him. And if you don't know him, this is what he would be saying to you if you did know him. And this is the life he's calling us to. So let's look at it. Luke chapter 17. Hopefully you can turn to it because I didn't put the, 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 the scriptures in the, the text, so I have some other ones as well. Luke chapter 17, begin with verse 1. He, this is Jesus, said to his disciples, and his disciples were those who were his followers. We have a stated purpose of the church. We are, we are honor God or glorify God by helping more people become fully devoted followers of Christ. What is a disciple? A disciple is a follower of Christ. He wants us to be fully devoted followers of Christ. He, he wants us to be all in in following him and putting our faith in him. And so he, he's speaking to them. Well, what, what is this going to look like if you really are doing this? And he says this. It is inevitable that stumbling blocks come, but woe to him through whom they come. For it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea than that he would cause one of these little ones to stumble. Now, we just had a vacation Bible school in which when we think about little ones, we're thinking about people who are smaller than us. 
But he's not just simply talking about people who are smaller to us physically. He's really talking about anyone who is smaller than us in our, in our faith or our walk with God. And he's really almost implying here, some of you might be false followers of me because what you're really going to do in your life is you're going to take people who, who, who should, you should influence in a positive way and you're going to influence them in a negative way. But he's also talking to people who, who really know me and follow me and, yet, and you're disrupting people's lives rather than helping people's lives. And really, we're either, you've heard this before, you're either a part of the problem or you're part of the solution, right? And usually they say solution first. You're part of the solution or part of the problem. And so Jesus speaks into their lives, and he first of all warns them about something. Let me, I'm speaking really fast because I can't, I'm not sure at all what I want to say today. But Jesus, what Jesus does here, he gives us some warnings and he challenges to his disciples. And this is the first thing put in my words. He put it this way. It is inevitable that you'll be tempted to mess up. And where do I get that? When he said this. It is inevitable that stumbling blocks come. And then he puts a comma there. What is he saying there? Some of you might have different translations. It is, it, it is impossible that you will not be tempted to sin. Or, or drawn to sin. The, the New American Standard puts the stumbling blocks because really the word here is from the word which we get uh, scandalous. Or, 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 or putting something in front of somebody that trips them up. Some people put it in, there's a, there's a bait stick or a bait in the trap in which you, you draw people into doing something that is disastrous for their lives. And this is really what the Bible describes as temptation. Temptation is that which lures you in, and uh, I think I see those trout fishermen back in the back. You know, they, they just spent the week in Mammoth, and they were, they were catching trout. I, I think they were inventing all those pictures they sent back where they were just catching trout right and left. And, and, and how you lure a trout is to put something on the end of that hook that causes them, I want that. And, and when it wants it to the degree that it's willing to take the risk, it will take a bite of it, and all of a sudden it's hooked. And that's what the Bible describes as temptation. Temptation is the things that are in this world in which it will draw us in, biting that which will be destructive in our lives. What's interesting to me is that he told his own followers, it is inevitable that that's going to happen to you. This is going to happen to you. And so as we think of our own lives individually, and as we think about people that are surrounded in our influence uh, we need to realize there's nothing that we can do on this side of eternity that can keep people from being tempted. Do you realize that? And, and sometimes we, we think that somehow we can insulate ourselves or the people that we really care about, and particularly when you become a parent, you're, you're trying to protect your child from anything that will be destructive in their lives. And, and there's some things you can do down that path, but if you think somehow that you can so insulate your children or your in my sake now, grandchildren, that they will never be tempted to sin, what you are is denying what Jesus said right there. It is inevitable that there will be stumbling blocks in front of you. And, and so as we think of somehow in the Christian life that when we become a Christian, you know, if we just try to be good, then only good things that will happen around us, then, then we're mistaken. Jesus didn't say that. We live in a dangerous world that's going to try to entice us to do those things in our life that are destructive. And you're going to find sin in a lot of different ways. Sometimes it's you think, we think of sin as, as God's list up there that, you know, here's, here's the naughty list. And, you know, he doesn't like it when we do something naughty. And it is naughty list, but the reality is it's, it's even more profound than that. He says, don't, don't get involved in anything that's destructive, that will hurt you. 
God is not up there somehow trying to rob us of things that are enjoyable. He said, but look at certain things in this world that are enjoyable are destructive. There's a passing pleasure to sin. Don't, don't go down that path, and also don't go down that path thinking that somehow you can reach this level of walking with God that, that will never be a problem for you. That you're above that. I, I'm, I'm not tempted to sin. If you're not tempted to sin, you don't have a pulse. It is inevitable that there will be scandal on, stumbling blocks, temptations that will try to draw you to take a bite out of something you shouldn't touch. But the warning here is, okay, and I put it this way, is it ever that you'll be tempted to mess up? That's what happens when you sin. Just don't mess other people up. So realizing that there are sources of temptations out there you can't control, but what all of us need to realize, if we're a follower of Jesus, we don't want to be that which entices other people to sin. And, and if we do that, what happens is it, it, to someone that's impressionable that we can influence in a negative way, he, he puts it graphically. You know, I, I would just as soon tie something around your neck and throw you in, in the deepest sea so that your life would be lost rather than the life of the one that you're influencing in a negative way. Now, we, we can address this in so many different ways in terms of, uh, of what I'm talking about here. What, I remember this one thing I read many, many years ago, and someone went to church and uh, they were talking to someone who didn't normally go to church, and they asked the pastor, or the person who went to church, well, what did your pastor preach on today? He, he said he preached on sin. Well, what do you have to say about it? He said he's against it, you know. Well, obviously, we're all against sin. We're all against things that are destructive of our lives. Well, what do we have to do to somehow resist that which will always be there? There will always be that lure to do those things that are destructive in our lives that will influence us to be destructive in other people's lives. Let me throw out three quick things for you. There's, here, here's the three simple things that aren't simple to apply. Number one, do pray before particular temptations come. And I'm using particular temptations in such a way that there are certain things that are, are maybe your danger zones that aren't in the danger zones of other people. But, but part of it is being honest with yourself. What are some things in my life that I know if I get close to it, I'm going to get burned? Have you ever identified that in your, in your own life? What, what are the things? We all have them. We all have areas where if we get close to that flame, we're going to touch it, and it's going to burn. And, and part of it, part, and this is as simple as I can make it. And, and as I was wrestling, I was thinking, how, how does this apply to my life as well? What are the things I need to recognize? First of all is I don't want to fall to temptation. Because if you haven't established that, I'm so serious against sin, I don't want to participate in it, there is no other help from God. Because you've got to have to, first of all, have the want to. Now, God gives you the want to, but you've got to go down that path. And how you express that is talking to God about that. Pray before temptation comes. Now, where do I get that? In Matthew 6.13, it says this. And he, this is Jesus' model prayer to his disciples. And at the end of this, he says this. And do not, this is speaking to the Heavenly Father, do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now, the Lord's Prayer, that is the most strange request that you could imagine. Because... Why would you have to ask God to do something he already wants to do? Uh, don't lead us into temptation. The Bible said that is, God is not the tempter. He never tempts us to sin. But here in this prayer, he says, Oh, oh God, if I don't lead us into temptation, what in the world does that mean? The only way I can understand this is, God, I, I, I'm fully aware that I can go down the wrong path. And as I seek to follow you, 
I'm telling you, don't allow me, sovereignly allow me. I give you total freedom to restrict my freedom so I don't go down the wrong path to be tempted beyond what I am able to withstand. Now, we're looking at promises. God, God never does that. But I think he's saying in this prayer, the ones praying to the Father, that this is my desire as well. I don't want to get anywhere near as close to anything that you know that will destroy my life and just keep me from it. I want you to deliver me from that which is evil, that which is destructive in my life. I want, I want to be able to draw lines in my life where I'm saying, I'm not, I'm, I don't want you, I want you to do whatever it takes to keep me from doing what you would be dishonored with if I did it. Billy Graham, who just passed away recently, one of the things that he, he said, because there were, there were so many evangelists in his day and in the history of the church where God used them in a great and mighty ways, and, and he prayed this, God, just kill me. Before I bring shame on your name. Now, none of us have that platform, but that's that prayer in his own language. Don't lead me into a situation. Don't allow me to take a step in which I will bring dishonor to your name. Now, Billy Graham wasn't perfect, but what are you saying here? I, I don't want to be led down that path. So first of all, it begins prayer, and that's really an expression of want. I don't want to do that, which will be a stumbling block to me. And then possibly a stumbling block to somebody else. So first of all, it begins with prayer. Secondly, there are certain things we need to run from. Do run from certain temptations. 1 Corinthians 6.18 says this, Flee immorality. Every other sin that a man commits is outside the body. But the immoral man sins against his own body. So there's certain things, you know, we prayed, God, don't let me go down that path. But we live in a world, and this is the other side of this, the other side of the coin. We live in a world we can't escape temptation. And let me just be honest here. Again, for parents and grandparents, you're not going to be able to insulate your children. And if you did, you might, might, you might be purposely not preparing them for their future because there's going to come a time where they're not under your umbrella. You're not, you're not, they're going to be away from you, so they need to be prepared for what happens when they're away from you, where your, your convictions and even more importantly, God's convictions become their convictions. And one of the things that needs to be built into every disciple of Jesus Christ, a follower of Jesus Christ, is you need to know what things you don't pray about you run from. You don't, you don't, you don't take a step into that particular type of place. You don't go down that path in which you know that once you go take one step, that, that slippery slope will cause you to totally fall. Flee immorality. And what he's talking about here is sins of the flesh. And there's all kinds of ways to describe the sins of the flesh. In Galatians chapter 5, there's a lot of different words he used there. He talks about immorality, impurity. I'm going to use all words by the letter I here for, for a moment. Uh, idolatry. And, and then he gets kind of messes up with even insensitivity. And some of those things that we, we need to be very aware of that we need to run from, those things that drop us down that path. Now, immorality, it's interesting, he, the, the word in 1 Corinthians 6, as well as the other passage, that word really comes from, word from uh, it's the Greek word pornea, from which we get the, the word pornography. And it really speaks about any type of sexual sin that's outside of God's plan. 
adultery, uh, premarital sex, uh, incest, homosexuality, anything that's down that path. And, and some of us, we say, well, I'm pretty comfortable because I'm not tempted in that area, but you might be tempted in another area. And part of what we need to realize is that when you think about fleeing immorality, it's not even simply the act, as Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. It's allowing certain thoughts and pictures to, to infiltrate your mind. And that's why pornography is such a destructive experience. Because, you know, garbage in, eventually garbage out. You know, our minds are like a computer. And when we, when we begin to saturate our minds with things that are pornographic, that are illicit, that are damaging then it begins to take hold. And the only way to, to get success for that, you, you pray about it in the sense you don't want, want to do it, but then you've got to flee. And you might have to take drastic steps to say, I, I don't want to be tempted in that area beyond what I'm able. I'm going to put controls on every kind of media that I participate in. And if it never doesn't work that way, you get rid of that media. You do whatever you can so that does not become a and the evil one has a foothold in your life. You don't dabble in it. You, you get as far away from it as possible. Because it's going to be out there. You can't drive the freeways. We've seen all kinds of pictures everywhere. But you can limit in extreme ways things that will be destructive for you. That, that's immorality. But the, the other thing is, is idolatry. It's interesting with idolatry Idolatry is having anything in your life, and it could be some good things that become more important to you than God. And that's described in the sins of the flesh. And whether you look at Galatians 5 or Colossians 3, is, is any of those things that will draw you away from putting God first? And this is where it begins to mess with us because there are all kinds of things in our life that, that kind of preoccupy us. And it, it's all right to have all kinds of things that you enjoy and you pursue and you participate in, but you have to be honest with yourself. Are, are these things drawing me away from God being the most important person in my life? We enjoy the giver first and then the gifts. And so that, that's a challenge for us to, to not let things be a stumbling block to us and let us be a stumbling block to somebody else. And our habits and our patterns can be just as destructive as anything else if, if somehow we don't get a hold on them. And so we need to flee immorality. We need to, anything that's pornographic, that is destructive physically. We need, we need to guard our hearts and minds so that things don't crowd out our relationship with God. Another area, too, which is interesting, this found as much as in Ephesians 5 as well as Galatians chapter 5, is intoxication. In, in some of your Bibles, again, I was going to take a lot of time going through this. It, it says, you know, flee anything that's that is like a sorcery to you. And you think, well, I'm not involved in anything <laughs> with sorcery. I'm not conjuring up spirits and things like that. But the word sorcery in the New Testament really comes from, from pharmakia, which has the idea of anything medicinal. But then it became not only medicinal, anything that was mood-changing uh, uh, thing that you would ingest. And intoxication in other places, you know, places last month we encouraged everyone to, to memorize that verse in Ephesians 5. Therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise. Later on, the context of that, Ephesians 5, 15, 16, 17, and then verse 18 says this. Um, Do not get drunk with wine, for that's just a waste. That's dissipation. But be filled with the Spirit. 
And, and, and the Bible doesn't draw a, long, a line down and say that you, you, you cannot drink any alcohol, but it does draw the line and say you should not get intoxicated. You, you should not be under the, inclu- uh, the influence of spirits, but the spirit. And, and sometimes we get too close to that line, and we, we don't really take honest looks at ourselves. Am I going down too far down that path? You know, w- w- when, does the, when does the enjoyment of, of that which God has created in this world become... You know, that buzz that, that controls me. And, and what can happen is that your life can be a stumbling block to somebody else. And so we have to take an honest look at ourselves. You know, when am I crossing that line and going down too far? And, and then you, if you want to use another intensity, in the list of sins that can be destructive, it's, it's how do we treat people? And, and, and let's be honest, you know, the Bible talks about that we ought to run from factions and we ought to run from gossiping. We ought to, we ought to run from anything that is destructive in relationships. And we can easily think somehow we're better than somebody else and we can, all we have to do is look at how we talk about other people, right? And how we talk about people, if we're around people who talk about people in a certain way, what do we usually end up doing? Talking just like they talk about other people, right? So Jesus, when he, as he turns to the disciples, he said, look it. It is inevitable that some blocks come, but woe to him through whom they come. It would be better to him if a millstone were strung around his neck and was thrown in the sea than he would cause one of these little ones to stumble. So as we encounter those things that trip us up and could trip other people up, we need to pray, we need to run, and don't really have time, but obviously in all these things we need to trust. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, No temptation is overtaking you, but such is common to man. And God is faithful, will not allow you to be tempted, enticed to do that which is evil, which you will not be able to find a way of escape also, that you may be able to endure it. Which, which eliminates all of our own excuses, doesn't it? I just couldn't help myself. Well, maybe you couldn't help yourself, but who could? God can. And, and so we need to realize that it's not about God giving us an, a, a list of things that's impossible to follow, but that his power within us allows us to have the strength to say yes to certain things and no to others. And it's a lifelong process, and that's what he was telling the disciples. Look at this. I want you to know this is the war that you have going on out there. And I'm warning you and challenging you to, to live out the life I've called you to live. And I'm going to empower you to do so, but you've got to desire that in your own heart. But he doesn't make it any easier on us. He gets really strong with his disciples. Verse 3 says this, Be on your guard. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. Wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. Uh, you mean I, I'm, supposed to be, it, I, I'm supposed to be involved in other people's lives? Yeah. Well, there, there is no lone ranger Christians. There's no way where we're going to actually live this Christian life where we feel somehow we can do in isolations. And so he said, and if your brother. So he's not talking about some stranger. He's not somebody you just got mad at the grocery store or at, on, the, on the highways. Or If there's someone that you're close to, your brother, and you see them doing something that is destructive. We're not just talking about an arbitrary list. They're on the naughty list. No, they're doing something that is self-destructive for in their lives. Then go to him and, 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 and rescue that person. And the first step in rescue is, you know, as, as kindly and sensitively as possible. Galatians 6 talk about, talks about that. Try to talk into that person and say, hey, hey you're, you're going down the wrong path. This is, this is not good. This is going to hurt you and the people around you. And if your brother sins, rebuke him. 
So he, he realized this is going to be difficult. I, I put it this way in your outline. Confront family and friends in their mess and always be willing to forgive their mess. Now, that really speaks to large issues there. He said, and he repents, forgive him. Because sometimes forgiveness, I'll do it once, but once is enough. He goes on and says this. And if he sins against you seven times a day and returns you seven times saying, I repent, forgive him. Now, some of you are familiar with the passage in Matthew. You're thinking, seven? I, I thought it was mostly more than seven. Well, you're kind of missing the point here. He says seven times in the same day. Now, usually when people do something that, that uh, it, particularly if it's against you, they usually wait a day before they do it again. Would you admit? I mean, if, I, if I just did something that really ticked somebody off, I'm going to wait another day before I tick them off again. What if they do the same thing you seven times during the, in the same day? I mean, that's impossible. The, the Pharisees in that day, they thought... If you did it three times, you, you went way beyond what you should have to do. And what Jesus did, he said, he, he's doubled it and added one to it. And, and no one's really going to do the same thing to you the seven times during a day. But he said, if, even if that were to happen, you are to forgive them. That's just, that's just mind-blowing, isn't it? In fact, they respond in verse 5. He says, this, the apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. So they were being honest with themselves. There is absolutely no way I can forgive somebody for the same thing done seven times in the same day. And wouldn't that be pretty hard? If, if someone did something to you that just irritated the heck out of you and was wrong and destructive, and they did it seven times in the same day, we would say, enough is enough. And so they said, increase our faith. And the Lord said, if you had faith like a mustard seed, so take something small, you would say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and be planted in the sea, and it would obey you. Anybody ever had a mulberry tree? It's kind of like having a eucalyptus. Uh, a mulberry tree is a tree that it spreads its roots out. So when you're, when you're trying to somehow deal with it, it it's entwined itself in every place. And so if you're going to uproot a mulberry tree, it would not be the easiest tree to do because you just can't yank it out and throw it away. It, it's, it's spread its its, it's infiltrate out everywhere to, to connect to the ground. And, and he says, I want you to understand that you, you have a little faith. You could do what I ask you to do because you could even take that mulberry tree and just throw it out into the sea. So as we think about God's unbelievable challenging things to live out, he said, look, it's, it's not because it's only reserved for people with great faith. It's not people with great faith. It's people with little faith in a big God. And that's the whole point in Mark chapter 9 where he says, And Jesus said to him, If you can, all things are possible to him who believes. Immediately the boy's father cried out and said, I do believe, help me in my unbelief. That was mustard seed faith. And when we say to ourselves, I, I just can't forgive that person. Well, it's true. You can't forgive them, but God can forgive them through you. So I guess if I were taking a step back, I, I, I would say this. As, as we look at ourselves, is there... Is there anything in my life, take the first point, where I'm allowing the, the, the allurement of doing that, those things that are destructive for me and maybe destructive for people around me, if I, am I somehow ignoring the danger signs? I, I, ignore at your own risk. What are some things in your life that are, that are dangerous to you and somehow you've, you've, you've compromised how you look at them because maybe you've had past failures and just getting away from it. And God said, no, no, just uh, be on the alert right now. There are things out there to get you. 
And just because you're a follower of me, I'm not, I'm not removing all temptations. And, and what is it? Do you need ex- just honestly and specifically say, God, these things in my life right now, I need to run from, trust you in the battle, and pray that I don't go down a path that's going to be one I'm not going to be able to return from. And then secondly, as you think about the other part of it, are, are there some people in my life right now that I'm, I'm, I'm still having a spirit of bitterness toward? I, I, just, I just can't let it go. And you know what forgiveness is? Sometimes we use words in the Bible that, uh, and in a place like this, that we, we never really define. You know, what does it mean to forgive someone? It, it's taking their offense and sending it away. It really mean, that's what it really means to forgive is to send something away. And the Bible will use word pictures in that. When you send it away, where do you send it? You send it and you bury it in the deepest sea. You, you take that which is where you've been wrong and you, and you just throw it from as far as the east is from the west. And even though it's impossible for, for us to forget, it's not impossible for God to never bring it back to mind. He, he's saying this. You're committing to God that which has pained me and pained others because the offense that's been done I'm desiring not to bring it to mind again, which simply means the Bible says that he will remember our sins, no what? No more. And so maybe there's some people in our life right now that, that we've been harboring things with because of maybe some things that, that w- how we were wrong, but we're holding on to them. And God says, let it go away. And when you say, I can't, he says, Let's just trust me like, like a little mustard seed to take that which is unbelievable to be done, root up a mulberry tree and throw it in the water, that I can do it. And then he finishes with something I just want to just touch on in verses 7 through 10. And let me just say it this way. He says, no matter how much work you've done or how many sacrifices you've made, you've only done what you should have done. Anyone ever here felt underappreciated? You ever feel like you've gotten the, you know, the, the, you know, the lower side of the, you know, whatever, the scraps? You know, I mean, that somehow you, didn't, you haven't been able to get what you deserve. We know before God that, that we get much more than we deserve. But, you know, people ought to treat us a little bit differently. We, we ought to have it a little better for us, you know. And, and, and so Jesus realized that they're going to feel that way, not only about people, but at times they're going to feel that way about God and say, God, I, I did my best. Why are these things happening to me? Right? So he, he tells this strange story. He says, Which of you having a slave plowing or tending sh- sheep will say to him when he has come in from the field, Come immediately and sit down to eat? But will he not say to him, Prepare something for me to eat and properly clothe yourself and serve me while I eat and drink, and afterward you may eat and drink? He does not thank the slave because he did the things which were commanded, does he? So you too, when you do all the things which are commanded, you say, we are unworthy slaves. We have done only that which we ought to have done. What a strange story, but when you kind of slow down and read it again, you say, that sounds a lot like me. Is that, you know, when, when I live a certain way, I have a certain expectation of what, what's going to come back to me, right? If I do the right things, the right things ought to happen to me. If I do good, good things ought to happen to me. When I put out, then someone ought to put out for me. He said, well, can you imagine any slave whose rights are fully in 
the power of the, the owner of the slaves. After they've worked hard out there in the field and maybe watching the master do very little, thinking, well, it's, it's now my, my turn to be served. <laughs> and as he tells the story, they're all made, oh, there's no way I would do that because that, that slave owner could sell me to somebody else or they could, he could bring punishment to my life. I, I would not be surprised as soon as I came in from a hard days of work, instead of being served by him, I would be called to, to clean up and to serve him. And in case they didn't get the story, he explained the story. He says, so you too, when you do all things which are commanded, you say, we are unworthy slaves. Now he's talking to who he said he was talking to. He was talking to his disciples. And it's interesting in Scripture how, how Jesus would describe those who followed him. Sometimes he would describe them as, their, as his friends, as part of his family. But often he would call them as the people who are following him. You, you, you are now slaves of righteousness. You are to do the the Father's bidding. And so when, when we play the entitlement card, you ever do that? I'm, I'm entitled to better than this. It's, it's somebody else's turn. And, and, and let's be honest, we, 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 can't, we can't do everybody's job. We're not talking about that. We're not talking about doing what everybody else is supposed to do, and now we've got to pick up what everybody else hasn't done. But it's really in our relationship with God when, when somehow we think God's not fair. That we deserve better. Anybody, anybody ever gone down that path where, you, you know, God, why, why is this happening to me or to my loved one? Sometimes it may, may, we don't own it, but we, we put it on other people we care about, and somehow they're getting the, the raw side. And, and we think that this shouldn't happen because we don't deserve it. Because look all we've done for you, God. And so he's really saying we're unworthy slaves. We... We have done only that which we ought to have done. Some ways you can put it this way. Can, can you ever outgive God all the blessings he's given us? But, but, but sometimes we'll get caught up in deserving more. Now, now, the reality of this is, who was he talking to? He was talking to his disciples. He was talking in-house. He was saying, look, as you follow me, and I'm not going to be here facially and in your physical presence to remind you of this. But you're, you're living in a world out there that's dangerous. It is inevitable that you encounter the temptations to sin, the stumbling blocks to sin, the, the bait and hook. So, so don't be a surprised by that. Be alert to it. But he, 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 here is, here's the thing I want you to wear. Don't do anything in the midst of Escaping your mess to, to mess with anybody else. Oh, 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 and by the way, I want you to understand that, that we're in this together. This is not an individual pursuit of walking with me. We're to do it together. And the Christian life is extremely personal, but it's never private. We need to go public, not only in sharing the message to other people, but also with each other. We're, we're here together to to help each other live out what we believe in. And, and sometimes that's playing the encouragement card, lifting people up, but sometimes it's, it's being willing to, to play the other card and say, look, at you're going down the wrong path and being willing to confront sin and confront that which is wrong in someone's life. 
And the best way of that is have people in your life that you've given permission for them to talk into your life, and, and, and now you've given them permission to talk into your life. You, you see something that, you, that I'm doing wrong, you need to tell me. And then you have people in your life that have said the same thing to you, where when you see something wrong in my life, I want you to tell me. Have you noticed we all have blind spots? We all have things we don't see? And, and then when he said, okay, in the midst of all this, this challenge to live out and the warning to live out the, the life that I've called you to live, it's, it's not going to be easy because sometimes you're thinking, I got the raw deal. But look at when we, when we leave, leave, live faithfully for God, all we're doing is what we, we should expect to do. And we're just saying, well, what can I do more? This is, the, this is the last day I can use this illustration, so it was a cost illustration. But, you know, some of you know, about a month ago, I took a fall I wasn't expecting to take. I was out, out running, and all of a sudden, um, I said, why am I so tired? And the next thing I remember, 30 minutes later, I was in an emergency room, and I had blacked out for 30 minutes. At least that's what I thought. And, and for, so for the last 30 days, I've been wearing this little patch right here on my chest, okay? And... Last night was the last night I had to wear it, all right? And one of the things that's interesting about that is that um, I had to carry a monitor with me. And it was, it was uh, rather uh, annoying. Can I say that? Okay. If I went 10 feet away from this patch on my skin, it would yell at me, all right? <laughs> it would rebuke me of my sin, all right? And it was a warning that, look, you've, you've gone too far away from the path you're supposed to take because we can't monitor your health, all right? Now, for those who are, are more worried than I am, I think my health is great. But anyway, for 30 days, you know, they, they were just monitoring it. And sometimes I thought about it. Wouldn't that be great if we all had a heart monitor because that's really the, where the Christian life is? And whenever I, I would get 10 feet away from God's will, he would yell at me, not yell at me, speak in my, you are too, too far away from your, your monitor, you know, and... Uh, and the reality is it became a team, team game because, uh, I'm, I know this surprised you, I would get 10 feet away from this, and sometimes I would leave it in the room, uh, our bedroom, that's, where I had a, that's when you recharge it up. And it didn't yell at me, it yelled at my wife and, uh, because she heard the sound when I was in another room. And I realized it became a team sport of, of making sure that I was going down a path that brought me to at least being awareness of health. See, God gives us these warnings to bring us to health. And sometimes we just have to be tied in so that, that when the warning signals come up, we realize we ignore this at our own risk. Let's pray together. Father, we have an opportunity now just to remember you through communion. And, and this, again, is also Jesus speaking to his disciples and saying, I want you to, to look back at what I've done for you in the past. And because I, I sufficiently paid for your sins, now I want you to live as far away from sin as possible. And Father, I pray as we remember your work on the cross through the communion table, it might cause us to say, what areas of my life do I need to recommit to you? Who is it in my life I need to forgive? And how do I need to be more grateful than feeling I need, I'm entitled for whatever, whatever freedom or, or lack of, of challenge I'm, I'm going through? Help us to live for you this, this day as we remember who you are and what you've done. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.